Um, quick introduction to Footprint Forum. Uh, it's an industry membership body. Um, the, the key ethos about the whole thing is one of collaboration, uh, the exchange of information, and, and of course, networking. Um, our thanks today to uh, our host, Innocent. Um, and this stuff has been in the uh, press quite recently. Fungi. Now, there were a lot of sort of fairly uh, interesting little facts and figures about fungi coming through. Um, one of the ones that caught the eye was that uh, these were in fact more human than planet. Sorry, plant. Um, the other one that, uh, of course, was of greater interest to, uh, to most of us was that some of it had been found to be able to eat plastic. Uh, now, great bright idea, um, and there's going to be quite a long time before anything can get together to make that a, a real element. Uh, so in the meantime, we've got to do something about this stuff, plastic waste. Uh, just to give you a few, uh, a few starter stats to, 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 to whet the appetite, um, in 2016, more than 480 billion plastic drinking bottles sold across the world. Less than half were collected for recycling, and only 7% of that were actually made into new bottles. So most of it ends up landfill or bobbing around in the ocean. Which brings us to our title today, Plastics in Food Service, uh, a must or a menace. Now, I mean, we know in food service, one of the two key areas are product quality and shelf life, and, and uh, packaging contributes considerably to that. Uh, much of that is plastic. Um, so, yes, it is both a must and a menace. So, anyway, we've got a tremendous uh, collection of speakers and panelists for you today. Um, but to put them through their paces, I would like to introduce you to your host today, John Twitchen. Right, thank you very much. I think I've got double mics now, but anyway. Um, thanks for coming. I think there's some smoothies in front of you. They were very carefully placed, so uh, uh, if you have moved them, maybe move them back again, but uh, enjoy them anyway. Um, we, uh, we've got a lot to run through today. I'm not going to say too much by way of introduction. Uh, great intro by, by Nick. Um, I will start by saying plastics are fantastic. They're brilliant. It's a brilliant material. Obviously, it's less brilliant when it ends up in the wrong place, which is probably what we want to um, spend a bit of time talking about today. Um, and there's issues around you know, responsibility uh, and uh, where we're going with, with all those sorts of issues as well. So I'm sure we'll touch on a lot of those things as we run through um, this afternoon. A couple of quick points. Uh, firstly, no fires are planned. That's good news. Uh, if you do hear the fire alarm, we've got to go over here up the ramp, apparently, and round the corner, but there'll be other people to follow. Um, there's an exit there and an exit here. Toilets you probably found, but around the back of the, by the lift. Um, and uh, phones, we're all busy, um, but silent would be great, and off would be amazing, but probably unlikely. Mine's on, <laughs> um, mainly because I'm reading my notes from it. So um, first up, speaker-wise, we have got uh, Neil Whittle uh, from uh, the Food Service Packaging Association. Uh, Neil's at the back. So Neil is now going to walk to the front, and I'll stop talking, and Neil can start talking. There you go. Sounds like a reasonable thing. 
Is there a button here? Uh, yes, there is. Yep. There is. So we'll probably mess that up. Um, I'd, I'll probably uh, fail to stand by the mic. It's just my, my kind of style means that I wander a little bit. But um, 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 it's nice to be here, uh, and it's nice to say something in this. Um, just from a background in terms of who I am. Um, so I'm Neil Whittle. I work for a company called Hootamaki. Um, oh, there we are. Um, yeah. So I work for a company called Hootamaki. I've chaired the Food Service Packaging Association some time ago. Um, I'm also um, chair of the Paper Cup Recovery and Recycling Group, which is some of what I'll touch on here um, in terms of this, this sort of um, speech here. But I wanted to just pick up a few different subjects around it. And, and I think it's going to be an interesting sort of afternoon debate. We manufacture packaging right the way across the world. And my actual role is I'm, I'm category director for our coffee markets. So two years ago, or two and a half years ago, I took on this job. And, um, and then suddenly, I found myself in, in a little bit of a storm, um, a big media storm that I think has changed the debate um, a hell of a lot for consumers. So Hugh Fernley Whittingstall uh, went on with his program on, on television and he talked about uh, a paper coffee cup. And the paper coffee cup became this, this extension of it and, and suddenly there was this thing called, and everything was plastic. And so the first thing I, I, I was thinking about today was, by the way, that's, that's, that's a menace, that's Dennis the menace. Um, so, First thing I was thinking about is definitions are, are really difficult here. I think that people um, have misunderstood in some ways about actually what plastic physically is. So I'm not a technical person, I'm not a chemist, but in the chemist's world, actually the word plastic has become a word that's associated with menace. And, and I think that's, a, that's an unfair categorization because there are many types of plastic and they have massive benefits in terms of where we are in society today. And, and then people, there's, there's a misconception about whether plastics are plastics or whether they're not plastics. But basically, as people say, oh, I've got this plastic-free product. And basically, it's still a polymer. So we need to, we've, we've got a lot of confusion in the marketplace that decision makers, legislators, uh, consumers really are having difficulty getting their head around and the understanding of what plastics are all about. So we came into this massive storm around paper cups you know, a couple of years back. And then what I'd like to touch on is, is how that's developed um, in terms of collaboration and how I think that industry really can lead the way in this debate going forward, especially in the light of legislators who want to basically categorise plastic into an area where it, it could damage society if it wasn't there. But first of all, as a packaging company uh, and as people within there, you think about what the physical properties of this is. It's, it's about hygiene, it's about cleanliness, it's about convenience in there. So, you know, the original idea of, of paper cups was that they were manufactured in order that in places like hospitals you wouldn't pass diseases across. And it's still, still exactly that case today in the workplace where the facilities don't necessarily exist for people to be able to wash, to reuse. On the go, it's almost impossible to do that, and that's how our lifestyles are. So we've got to keep in mind some of those original ideas about what products actually do. 
But with that, it brings some environmental challenges along with it. And, and there is no doubt that society has got to make some changes in one in terms of how it does. It leads to cut emissions that lead to climate change. But that doesn't always mean that you have to demonize a particular product. You have to look at its life in its life cycle analysis and how beneficial it is in terms of its lightweight, it's, it's easy to use, it's, you know, it's, it's very, very efficient in manufacturing. These are all considerations that, that this menace purpose is kind of stuck. And so we've got to, as, a, as, a, as an industry, collectively look at the reason why we're using products and then look at the life stages of them. So packaging companies have got a real challenge. We've got to use more sustainable raw materials um, and where we've got to use recycled materials where technology allows. So again, the government is suddenly saying, well, actually, what we're going to do is we're, you know, we're going to tax virgin materials and we're going to, uh, we're going to look at what people to use more recycled materials. That's not always physically possible. So again, look at the purpose of the products within there. We've got to reduce our energy consumption and emissions of our factory. But that's all things that I think every business is doing at the moment. I think everybody is looking at what they do in a much closer way. Um, and then you've got to reduce the downstream, downstream impact of your products. And that's where I think that industry is now taking some real lead in trying to get itself together and act collectively. But consider it. Consider the environmental impact of food damage. The environmental impact of food damage far outweighs the position of packaging. It's reckoned that probably 90% of the impact would be from the food being destroyed rather than possibly 10% out of packaging. So those kind of considerations have to be in there. The reason for packaging is that it transports food can be, you know, efficiently, cleanly, safely and protects it at the end of the day. And then there are some questions around single-use versus reusable. It's always, it's always an interesting but Everybody has an opportunity to use a reusable product. But it's not always convenient and it doesn't always work. You know, that's, so you've got to, as an industry, what we've got to do is cater for when that isn't the, that isn't the position, when it's not right or it doesn't work to be able to do something different. And in today's lifestyle, that, that's just not going to be possible in a lot of situations. So yes, produce, but then do something about it afterwards as an industry. So the argument just, just kind of suddenly went off on that. So um, it, it moved. And there's a couple of factors in here that, that did that. First of all, there was a message that says, you know, these materials aren't recyclable paper perhaps. And, and then I think that's, that's been proven that that's not the case. You can recycle packaging, you can recycle paper cups. But then what you had to look out for was a whole set of arguments that just started dotting around this. And then you've got to start to listen as an industry because a lot of that was to do with things like litter as well. Litter is a massive, massive bugbear on the whole of society. So when we talk about plastics in oceans, or we talk about plastics in litter, or we talk about any type of that form of it, that's about consumer behaviour change. So again, industry needs to work uh, to work with other organisations in terms of looking at consumer behaviour change as well. So the example that I wanted to pick up on, and I, I've been doing this for way too long now. Uh, I'm 28 years with Utamaki now. So I've been selling these type of products for a long time. But some years back, um, we 
worked and looked at per industry together on paper cups. And so the paper cup recovery and recycling group was there. And the interesting thing was, what we knew out of that was that you had to have a complete supply chain in place in order to be able to do anything constructive. And that's bringing all of the different parts of that through from manufacturers, retailers, engaging with consumers, waste management, waste management sorting, fibre recovery facilities, and right through then in terms of converting it back into a final product. And that, that's, that's really quite difficult, difficult and challenging in an area which is so, the points of disposal are so wide and fragmented as well. Um, but, you know, then you can start to look at the different types of facilities and the different types of disposal methods, and then you can start to channel product through those different channels, and then you can get a product out at the far end. So in the instance of paper cups, that's, there are now facilities where you can post back, you can do office um, sorting through that, you can actually dispose of paper cups in car park facilities um, with green bank systems, and, and then you've got to develop how much more you can get out of this home and street, and then work with these waste operators who are a critical part of that infrastructure and the infrastructure that we need to develop. Now this is, this is talking a little bit about paper cups here, of how they might go into the general waste and mixed recycling, and where within that you could start to pull out products that have got value. And, and that's, that's what actively you know, we need to do. If we're going to increase the level of recycling, we need to work within these, these sort of teams and these collaborations to be able to identify routes to pull product out. Within this marketplace, we did an interesting one, which is, again, looking at collective um, materials, is that we came to an ally with the, with the Beverage Carton Association. As an interesting part of, they already collected cartons across the country. 92% of local authorities collect cartons across the country and they get it for recycling. So again, let's look at how we tie together different types of materials and different products and start to move them into channels where you bulk up the material and then you can get them into facilities which will, which will actually do that. So what we've got to do if we're going to talk about plastics, we've just got to be more constructive, we've got to be more imaginative in terms of the way that we work in, in trying to capture those materials through the system. But this is where I think now we need to take it a stage further. This is just, this is looking at all of a number of the different ones. Again, tying slightly to, you know, paper cups. Here we had waste operators, reprocessors, you know, organisations like Simply Cups, the Collect Cups, HUK, which is the Beverage Plant Association. You've got the retailers, brands, distributors, manufacturers, raw material suppliers. You've got trade associations. Trade associations need to be key in bringing companies together um, in order to look at their industry and take collective action in there. But then what you've got to do is start to work with communicating and working with local authorities, with governments, with NGOs, with little groups in particular in, in the industry that we're in, we're going to talk about when we go. And that's, that's really, it's, it's, a, it's a must. It's a must. Consumer concerns change massively. And if you go back to those, those sort of headlines, this is, this is how consumers' thought patterns go when you look at where media um, stories come out. They're fierce. They're very, very challenging to industry. I can tell you that I sat in front of the EAC committee in Parliament back in October last year and I was, I was sweating. I mean, I 
it really was. It's, it's really fierce when you get that kind of challenge as an industry. But what you've got to do is you've got to go back out and you've got to get yourselves together and you've got to collectively act. So I'm going to just touch on that. So this one, you've got to look at packaging we've got to be able to deal with in terms of its, its end cycle. Yeah? Because it's a must. It's a, it's a must have. It's very efficient. It's very hygienic. Yeah? It's not a demon in its way. What is a demon is it going to the wrong place, is when it ends up in the wrong place. So what we, accelerating recycling, and I'll put that in a general term as well. I'll put, recycling is one, but recycling is also dealing with waste in all kinds of different ways. And you'll hear that today from, from different parts of the industry and different product areas. Is there are now lots and lots of different ways of dealing with materials, whether it's through recycling or composting. These are all going to be routes that are opening up because I think the industry is working towards changing that. New partners and new solutions, and then we've got to work on the products as well. As well. But on the go recovery of the system is the next big challenge for us as an industry. Because these products, I, I, they're, you know, they're not going to go away, they are essential to today's lifestyle. So let's try and build uh, in, in conjunction with others that one. And also, let's try and communicate as well because you end up in a corner if you don't actually try and tell people what you're doing as an industry and as a total. So we need to communicate with the consumer as well about what their options are. And that's certainly work that, uh, that we're leading up to in the coming months, is how much more you can do that. And if you take paper cups, there are now over 4,000 collection points across the country. Yeah. So you can take them back to stores, you can do that, you can take them to bring back the sites. You, can do, you have options now. Now what we've got to do is lead the consumer to deal with those options uh, within there. Um, and then onward, we've got to have models which will work in the longer term bringing organisations together the ones that are bought. There's a good example, um, the, the scheme that's currently running through paper cups, which cost have put through, which is that they're actually effectively buying their material <coughs> back. So they're supporting waste contractors with money when they collect paper cups. So industry is actually buying this material back because it has value. So creating an economy for the material, which I think is, is, is what industry is going to have to take some of its own responsibility. Where I head away from is taxes, levies, charges, whatever you want to call them, T-taxes, <coughs> levies. What that's going to do is it's going to damage businesses and it's going to damage, to, it's going to take money out of consumers for no benefit really. We did some independent research on elasticity of price for a cup of coffee. And what it said was if you put 25 pence latte levy on, it's 8.7% of consumers who probably turn around and say, that's just gone over my market, I'm out of here. 22,000 coffee shops employ about 130,000 people across the country, that's 8.7% of 130,000 people, which is my maths is about, right, that's about 11,000 job losses. Okay, and what you want is you want to nicely make coffee that you want to buy and you want to take it with you. Yeah. If it's convenient, you can reuse one. If it's not, we're going to do something about it as an industry in terms of getting the product back into the system. So, that's probably the issue, isn't that? That's all right. Yeah. Very interesting. What, the last part of this is just about something that says about reaction and knee-jerk reactions. And there's, there's three pieces that popped up yesterday. One, Lord Demon, who I think is a, is a very... Uh, 
good narrator and understander. He says, we've got to avoid knee-jerk reactions because this time we can't get it wrong. Knee-jerk reactions can cause unintended consequences. Yeah? So there's got to be a little bit of time to develop systems and long-term solutions rather than making sudden knee-jerk reactions. Yeah? Second one is just Sainsbury's, and it was in the same piece. 2,900 people a, a week uh, that write in. Plastic is not evil, it's absolutely necessary for the purpose that it's set up on. But I do agree with the point that where it's not needed, then it's something that we don't have to challenge ourselves not to use. And then the other one, which was just Martin Kirsch from the Food Service Packaging Association, who I think are working on the right one, which is the, the idea is to look at reform of the producer responsibility system in its entirety. So if you are going to make a long-term change in the marketplace, you need to do it in a balanced way. And I think the packaging industry recognises that it is going to have to pay for it. It does. It said so. And the FPA, Food Service Packaging Association, being driving that, which says, let's do it the right way around. Let's reform the total system so that it's balanced. Not individual one charges. Everybody pays a bit more and we build the system. And companies are not avoiding this issue. Uh, they're just making sure that what they do next will make a change. Yeah? So that's kind of a little bit. It's a must. It can be a menace. I know that. Um, and in some instances, it's an absolute menace. But I think if we work together collectively, I think that, that we can actually do a lot of this from an industry front rather than a legislation drive us into the There you go, you see? Tend to rattle on a bit. Uh, just whilst they're in rooms, I'll just pick up as well. Yes. We've done a lot of work with um, Anthesis to actually coordinate these type of industry groups. And I'm just going to give them a quick chat because Debbie's over there. Is if you get yourself together as an organisation, as a company, you need independence, you can run and keep that forum going. So they've been very good as well. Thank you very much. Run some questions, so it would be great if we could both use our mics, so if you okay. can, because we are recording. First thing, though, that's all right, it's too late now. Um, everyone turn around, Debbie's going to wave. Hi, Debbie. That's Debbie from Anthesis, if anyone wants to talk to Debbie. There we are. <laughs> uh, we know each other. Sorry, Debbie. <laughs> um, right, uh, questions for, for Neil. Thank you very much. Questions for Neil from the floor. Who's going to be first with a question? Better not be me. Is it going to be me? There's one. Reliable Dean, we call him. Um, hopefully there's a microphone coming at you. Charlie's rushing. Running. I've never seen him run. I've not seen him in jeans before either, actually. Well, it's all right, I'm here. it'd be good to use the microphone. There we are. Reliable Dean. Um, simplicity could be the key. What do you think... Uh, to the idea of minimising the different types of plastic uh, so that we've got a smaller pool of material streams that will be much more recyclable. Could I ask you to say who you are and where you're from? Sorry, I'm Dean Pearce from SWR Newstar. Cheers, Dean. There is, there is no doubt that technically it's not as easy as it first comes across. And especially when you look at multi-layer type of materials. So you're using barriers for a good reason because it preserves product inside it. 
So we're still going to have multi-layer materials. There are some materials that just don't quite flex enough in, in terms of their properties to be able to use for purposes. Heat is a particular one, so it's sometimes difficult to get. But I think that industry does recognize that. I'll tell you what I thought of the other day was, that's very good, but let's get direction on it. Because you know, when you're going to invest in a brand new production line, which might cost you five or six million pounds, right at this moment, I don't know whether I'm the one who wants to sign the piece of paper. Because you could be signing into a material that in the future suddenly gets left out in the cold. So I'd agree with you, absolutely, but let's try and get the direction going on that. But it is complex. I guess that's where signals and, you know, whether it's a piece of policy or a, a tax, a levy or a charge come in, isn't it? It gives a signal. It gives you a, a clarity of it, what you're trying to achieve or avoid. It does, as long as it's being made with the right information in the background. Mm -hmm. So, again, people might say, well, we're going to take, you know, PVC went out for different reasons. Now they might pick on a different material. Um, so, you know, the, the different materials are getting different challenges. But again, technically, they all do a very good job. And sometimes it's difficult to find one that will do it as efficiently because you could ruin efficiency in this of manufacturing, which will far outweigh some of the benefits. Okay, next question. In the middle here, Charlie. I'm going to make you work today. And we've got one at the front as well in a second. Um, I understand that there are some... Who are you, sorry? I understand that there are some plastics that just cannot be recycled. So there's some sort of hierarchy of some plastics that are more reviled than others. Would it not be sensible to start with those plastics that we shouldn't be using? Uh, again, from a, if there is a material that you can replace that is more beneficial, believe me, as manufacturers, you're looking for it. Yeah? It's, it's not the case that, yeah, if there is something out there that is, and I, I suppose, you know, go back to that one, some of these materials become unfavorable and they phase out of markets, but we need direction on where that's going. But also, I think that the plastics recycling industry has been left out in the cold a little bit because, you know, again, it needs investment. So if you do reform producer responsibility and get the money into the various options for recovery and recycling, whatever type of, you know, recovery and recycling it is, that's where we need to spend some of that money. It's on the infrastructure and those facilities. So. Okay, question at the front. Nigel Simmons, independent consultant. Uh, Neil, I was just wondering, in the, in the good old days when we had Coke in glass bottles and milk in glass bottles, we still get served beer in glass bottles. Could we go back to glass, or is that, from a manufacturing point of view, just very costly and inefficient? But it seems to be something that's more easily recyclable. Recyclable. Uh, oh, sorry. You, you don't, you, the one is, 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 if you look at, again, you know, whether it's transport or whether it's you know, the sheer weight that you're going to be moving around or whether it's convenience, it's safety, it's facilities to be able to handle that in volume. You know, a case of a thousand cups is that big and, and a case of a thousand glasses is not this room. So th those factors where people can use products efficiently and show that it's beneficial, by all means, but what's been shown to be efficient is generally as plastics has been very, very efficient in what it does. 
So I think, again, it's just got to be understanding is, has become a little bit muddled because Dennis the Menace appeared. And, and so the terms were lost. Okay, any more questions from the floor? Right, I've got one. Um, uh, you sort of painted the latte levy. I don't like the term either. I think it, people might have a cup of tea after all. Uh, latte levy is a, uh, almost stealthy that is unavoidable. So um, quite clearly it's avoidable, isn't it? If you take a cup along with you or you sit in and you drink in, um, that tax isn't going to apply to you. In fact, you might even get a discount on your bringing your mug with you. you very often um, get a discount at the moment. Yeah, absolutely right. So I, I just wanted to sort of make that point and reflect on that really, that you know, sort of drawing a straight line between 25p that might or might not be levied and, and major job losses is perhaps slightly, you know, um, it's not a straight line, is it? It's slightly disingenuous to draw that line, don't you think? No. Because it's an avoidable it, it, tax. It is, but... Because it's changing behaviour. <laughs> yeah, well, if we're, if we're going to do that, then we might as well tax everything. Um, you know, which is, but we're saying that. We're saying that the system, the, the, the packaging recovery, you know, and that producer responsibility system needs to reform. Mm -hmm. I, I think we've said, you know, industry is saying, yes, let's do this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't, the consumer doesn't need that. The high street doesn't need that at the moment. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, the places, the place, the stories that are coming out from the high street are fairly, you know, are fairly sort of mm -hmm. problematic. And that's people's jobs and people's lives. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not saying push the whole thing aside. I'm saying we're doing something and it is being challenged and industry is coming together. And that's going to be for lots of areas in the future, not just paper cups. Mm. We really need to work as industry to change some things about how we, how we operate overall. And best done from the inside, than, personally for me, than, than the Brilliant. Well, thank you very much again. Thanks, Neil. <laughs> you <get a> run. <laughs> Great. Uh, we now have our first panel. Um, uh, session and uh, on the panel, if you can come up, that would be great. Um, slightly precarious job of coming up, actually. Um, so we've got Anna Corley uh, from Corley's Waste and Resource Management. Uh, we have Lucy Frankel from uh, Vegware, and we have Simon Musset from Sodexo. So uh, there we go. I wondered how this was going to work. It seems to be working. No one's fallen off yet. <coughs> uh, oh, and the lights went off. Brilliant. Thank you, Charlie. Right. Fantastic. Are you all settled? Are we all okay? Yeah. Don't move. Don't try not to breathe either. Yeah. Might send you over the edge, especially Simon. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so if we can just remember the mic when we're talking, that would be brilliant. Um, there's one between two, or possibly two between three. Uh, oh, questions, okay. So, um, yeah, I, would you like, we, this panel session, we are looking at uh, 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 the status quo, debating the status quo of the plastics problem. We've started to touch on some of those issues in Neil's presentation. Uh, he mentioned hygiene and, and food safety. Uh, and, uh, you know, looking at the the mitigation of exposure, risk, reputational damage, and thinking about health and safety, front of house needs, storage, and those sorts of issues. So um, I'm going to come to you each individually, but if you want to sort of 
I don't know, say a few words to open, Simon, a few, few pointers. You, you mentioned to me about some work that you're doing and plastic strategies and things like that and some, some principles. Yeah, no, sure. Um, can everyone hear me all right? Um, yeah, so I'm Simon Mustard, so I'm uh, Head of Waste Management within Sodexo for uh, UK and Ireland. Um, and I've really been responsible for sort of driving our um, strategy around um, single-use plastics um, ac across the UK and Ireland. So just touching on there in terms of um, the risk, um, I, guess, I guess from Sodexo's point of view, you know, we manage a lot of um, you know, corporate clients, a lot of, a lot of, their, um, a lot of their packaging, and we're, we're constantly under pressure. I mean, I think I must receive daily emails from, from a number of our clients, you know, asking us, you know, what are you doing, Sodexo? You know, what are you doing around single-use plastics? Um, how can you support us um, in, in, in your strategy? Um, you know, how, how can you support, with their strategy as well as um, supporting our own? So, um, what, what we've been doing as a business um, under our Better Tomorrow 2025 um, sustainability roadmap is, um, is really trying to, you know, champion sustainable resource usage. So that's one of our global commitments um, that we've got. And we've set ourselves some, some quite stringent um, um, targets of trying to reuse and recycle 70% of the waste that we produce um, and manage on behalf of our clients. So, you know, the whole single-use plastics is, is, is crucial and key um, for us achieving um, that target. So what we've done as a business is um, really set out our strategy um, for single-use plastics, which not only supports us with our sustainability agenda, but also our, our clients. Um, and this really is all around you know, the, the waste hierarchy. So what we want to do is focus as much as possible on prevention. Um, so as a business in, in June this year, we, um, we banned plastic straws and stirrers. Now, I think a lot of you will just say, well, that's going to come anyway with following you know, government's consultation, etc. later this year. Um, we've also you know, um, created commitments around trying to phase out um, polystyrene firm items um, and um, trying to phase out single-use um, carrier bags. But, but really, what the, the, the crux of our strategy really is trying to empower our site teams around um, behavioural change. You know, it's easy making that switch from a plastic straw to a paper one, from a, um, a paper stirrer to a, to a wooden one. But it's all about, you know, how can we try and change behaviours on site? So we've developed a lot of tools, a lot of guidance um, for our sites to, um, to really, you know, challenge, you know, do we need straws? You know, can we put them behind the counter? Can we, um, you know, pre prevent them? Can we, you know, change our, our offerings so they're not um, available um, as part of our retail offer? Um, so we've yeah. done a lot, a lot of work on that. We've done a lot of work on um, reuse as well. So trying to encourage sites to use um, reusable cups, um, and um, you know we've been partnering with with, with, with Simply Cups around the, the, the coffee scheme. Um, and, and ideally, where we want to get to and to support all of our clients is to get to a point where by all of our packaging is is widely recycled within the UK by 2025, and that's part of our part of our strategy. So um, yeah, I guess from going back to your question around risk and I apologize for sort of gargling on here is um, from, from, from Sodexo's point of view the, the main risk is really client retention you know we need to be seen to be doing something around single-use plastics um, and also business growth you know so if we don't have a, a strategy around um, single-use plastics you know it's becoming very common now in a lot of the bids um, that we're working on um, that there is um, you know a need for, for, for demonstrating um, you know a strategy so um, yeah I guess Great. Well, Lucy, one of the issues, I suppose, is stuff ending up in the wrong place. And if it's not going to do damage when it does end up in the wrong place, then maybe that's a good thing. Um, so uh, maybe you could talk about um, vegware just for a, a couple of minutes uh, yes. and what uh, some of the research you've been doing lately. 
Sure. Um, so first of all, compostables are not a solution for marine pollution. They are not a solution for littering. There's lots of things that they are not the solution for, but they are fantastically practical materials in food service to solve the issue of food contamination. So uh, we, as, as a packaging industry, we understand that recycling plastics, it's so much more straightforward if there's no food in there. Recycling food is so much easier if there isn't other contamination in there. And so what we have is a really practical solution. I don't know if anybody's seen the news today, but the parliament has announced that they are using vegware and composting it. So this is a really nice example. I think it's a fantastic um, uh, best practice, if you like, because they have a whole raft of different initiatives. They have got lots of different ways of promoting reusables. They have got compostable disposables because they understand that every food service offering will still need some disposables. And so for those which are going to meet food, they have chosen compostables. Uh, there's been collaboration throughout all of their procurement and waste people and uh, waste partners. We've got composting set up for them. And they have still got, um, I believe, juices in plastic bottles that are getting recycled. So it's a whole raft of different initiatives throughout their operations that show what many businesses can, um, can do. Um, you mentioned status quo. I think we don't really know what that is anymore. I think this year has been a huge time of change. Um, we have certainly experienced uh, this crazy wave of demand. So some products that were previously very slow moving lines for us uh, increased maybe 30 fold demand in 10 weeks. Others it was uh, much more easy to deal with. It was just 10 fold demand increase in 10 weeks. So it's been a really crazy year for us. Um, but what this big change in people's awareness is doing, it means that there are more compostable materials out there and that has made it much, much easier for us to deal with the waste sector and get more collection routes going. So we have already got collections um, going um, most of Scotland. We've just launched our own in Bristol, Worcester and Gloucester as well. There's lots of regions around the UK where we partner with other companies to collect our waste. But this huge appetite now for uh, compostable materials and composting means that we have um, big news. Maybe in the next six months, we're hoping to announce uh, for London, um, Leeds, York, and lots of areas of the Midlands as well. So this is, um, I understand that you know, we're worried about a knee-jerk reaction, moving materials without really understanding all the, all of the context and all of the benefits and possible negatives. But what it has meant is an increase in compostable materials on the market has um, really opened up the engagement with the waste sector for us. And so that has to be a positive where there are existing materials that do have an existing um, option for, um, for recycling because composting is a form of recycling. So that's been a very exciting time for us. Great. And Anna, I suppose in some ways it's slightly unfortunate, I guess, um, that plastics is in the headlines because uh, it's in the wrong place and we want to make sure it goes to the right place. And at around the same time, markets, overseas markets, started to close their doors, didn't they, to certain plastics as well. So um, maybe reflecting in the round from your perspective, you know, catching all these materials as they come at you through the various mechanisms, yeah, what the big issues are for you? Sure. So I'm from Corley's Waste Management. We're an independent waste management and recycling business. Um, it has been a challenging time uh, this year, that's for sure. Um, the, 
decision by China to close its doors effectively to a lot of recycled streams is something that we had to react to, um, but we have done and life goes on and you find new markets. And I think it's also about making sure that the product that we create and we put out into the marketplace is clean and is what we say it is. Um, and as is. <laughs> um, and it needs to be because at the end of the day, commercially it has to be and ethically it needs to be. Um, I think in terms of what we're talking about here today, um, I'd echo much of what Simon and Lucy both said. Um, we have to react to what our clients are asking for. And so, obviously, at the moment, they want to know what they can do to recycle more, what they can do to address single-use plastics, single-use disposable items. Um, and so we've had to react to that and we've, I think, being the size business we are, we are able to react quite quickly to things and we can change things, do things differently, put in place new services. Um, so, for example, we are now part of the, I can never remember the full name, Costa Cup Recycling Initiative. Um, so that's quite exciting for us and alongside that we're recycling coffee grounds as well. Um, and we're also working with clients on segregation of their waste streams so that we move away from mixed recycling, which um, I think in the waste industry is a, is a challenging waste stream at the moment because of um, the new marketplace that we find ourselves in. Brilliant. Okay, thanks very much. So um, opening up to the floor, uh, questions for the, for the panel. Uh, who's got... Oh, Charlie's back. Hello, Charlie. Uh, question for the panel. Yes. Uh, microphone, who you are and where you're from, and then the question. I'm Talia Goldman. I'm from Colpac, and we're a food packaging manufacturer. My question is mainly about um, compostables and biodegradables, which are obviously a really, are a really great alternative, and it's something we are seeing more and more of. But I guess the main issue that we're facing as a business and in terms of our packaging and what we're seeing throughout the country is this problem with infrastructure and how so much of these, they are great alternatives because they do completely get rid of the issue of food waste, but a lot of it relies on closed recycling systems. So restaurants having their own composting machines and in the back, etc. So what, what, needs to, what do you, from your perspective, feel needs to happen? Do we need to be pushing for more legislation? Because we have the issue of PLA cups, which are going into the system, they look like plastic, they think they act like plastic, and then they contaminate the whole system. So how do we deal with this kind of great alternative, which is relying too much on closed systems and really needs to be a, cross, a, a national solution? So how does average Joe public tell their OXO from their bio from their, from their pet? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's looking at you, Lucy. <laughs> So first of all, let's start with the infrastructure question. <laughs> um, in the UK, there are 53 investor composting facilities. Um, we have been plugging away for six years now, building relationships. We already work with a third of those. Um, <coughs> there are some AD plants that have a composting phase and that can accept and process compostable packaging. Um, there are lots of AD plants that are set up for pure food waste. And so going back to the Parliament example, they still have their pure food waste going to AD and that 
you know, that's great. There's all the benefits of AD with the renewable um, energy production. Um, in July, there was an announcement that we worked together with the uh, Organics Recycling Group on that if it's certified compostable drinks waste, so with no food contamination, uh, it's important that it's that's my pen, um, only milk or cream um, residues, but that could possibly go to open windrow composting facilities if the facility want it. So that is an exciting change which opens up the doors for us to uh, talk to an extra 180 sites around the UK for drinks waste only. Um, again, no facility has to take these items. We always have to start a relationship, do a trial, make sure they're happy to accept and process the products. Um, then, of course, there are... Um, on-site machines that you've mentioned as another option. Um, so we work predominantly with uh, food service businesses, so the routes that we um, are helping people set up are to do with uh, trade waste routes, and you're completely right that the householder route is a challenge. And so what we feel very strongly is that we would very dearly love to see in the waste and resources strategy that's coming out later on this year, we would like to see every householder have two recycling bins. The first should be for conventional packaging. So that's all your nice, clean things. No food contamination in there because there would be a second bin. That would be for bio-waste. So that is garden waste, food waste, and EM13432 compostable packaging. And so that is good news for all sorts of reasons. It would help the government um, meet its climate change targets, for example, introducing food waste recycling to England. And I'm sure there's lots of food waste operators in the, in the room who'd be very pleased to see that as a mandatory thing for England as well. Um, there's all sorts of benefits for the quality of uh, dry mixed recycling. Of course, if you remove the food contamination, then there's a benefit there. Um, so that's what we are going to be uh, pushing hard for. Um, and in terms of the contamination issue that you mentioned, um, in Italy, uh, a lot of years ago, they went through this whole same process. They introduced their own very far-reaching changes to their waste laws. Um, they now have this two-bin system that I'm talking about, which is not um, my own crazy idea because it's already in use. I've got my notes here. Belgium, Sweden, Norway, Austria, Norway, France. This is pretty standard in many countries. Um, and so in Italy, where they already have lots of um, compostable materials on the market, they've seen that plastics recycling can take up to 5 to 10% contamination from compostable plastics with no effect, no detriment. In practice, that's in test situations, but in practice they found that the contamination is pretty much zero. So really, um, I understand the, the concern because every single recycling firm needs to guarantee the quality of, of their input, therefore their output. But um, I think by working together to create a very sensible situation, sensible uh, getting my words here, system whereby there is a uniform uh, recycling system across the UK, everybody understands what goes in which bin. That is the only way to get around contamination and make sure that every material has a sensible place for it to go. So that's what I would be very keen for us all to push for. Great, and I think that last point is probably related to. Um, produce responsibility and uh, not having 400 different ways of doing the same thing, which I'm sure if we had longer, Anna could talk about um, for quite some time. Um, next question, there was one here, yes. Who you are, where you're from, and the question. Hi, yeah, I'm Paul, I'm um, from Nestle Professional. Um, and I was, gonna, I, was kinda, I was actually gonna build onto that last question and um, 
ask Simon something, but you, you kind of covered it off in terms of, I think I've been involved in a number of these um, debates um, across the years. And the focus always seems to be very much on infrastructure, supply, material. What I, what I often feel we miss a trick is in communication. So actually, I think some of the largest, some, some of the ideas around new products and, 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 and new su um, supply of materials and new infrastructure actually feels like there's a danger that we're going to add to what is an exceptionally confusing marketplace for the end consumer. So for instance, I lived in London. We had um, previously loads of recycling options. I moved to Tunbridge and Malling, and I have very little recycling options. Um, I don't know what is. We've got three bins at work, so we're actually serviced as an office, as an organization of 600 people. We're actually serviced by Simon. We have printed pictures of individual food items above bins to educate humans on which things put in the bin. So I've got a bin with about 20 different products and go, right, is that, that, that bin, that bin, that bin, that bit bin? And I kind of echo what you're saying is actually I feel what we need is some kind of systematic um, approach and then a decent communication system as to what goes where. And I think nutrition has really got to grips with this over the last year. And I was going to ask Simon actually what, what Sodexo feel is working. So we just last week have launched a recyclable takeaway cup system in Gatwick, a takeaway um, food packaging system in Gatwick. Um, but the communication of it and how you guys are feeling the best way to communicate to the consumers about where to put stuff. Because we just continue putting it in the wrong place. We can come up with all solutions. We're just going to put it in the wrong place. Um, and then how as an industry do we get a standardized communication of labeling of what products are what and where they can go? Okay, great. Simon yeah, and no, then Anna. Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, and, and, and that, that's really one of the, the fundamental, you know, issues with, with plastics is, you know, I think we're all at home, um, you know, can, can this be recycled? And you're right, you know, I think some of the posters and some of the signage you've seen at um, Nestle, we do have all, the, all, all those items. I guess, I guess where we are as a business, um, you know, I mentioned one of our commitments is trying to phase out the, the polystyrene firm items. What, what we're trying to do is rationalise our polymers. Um, so we're trying to get, to get to a position whereby we've got... Um, a limited number of, of polymers, types of packaging. Um, within our business at the minute, we have hundreds of different types of, of, um, of packaging. So, so reducing that and trying to focus on ones that are widely recycled will hopefully make that message easier to use. So you, know, you won't have 20, 30 pictures of all the different types of packaging on your site. We'll have that rationalized into a, into a smaller, smaller list that will make that um, you know, easy, easier to recycle. Um, is, is, yeah, I guess the route that we're taking. I think I'd, uh, I'd sort of chip in there and say, uh, if you can't recycle it, don't buy it. Uh, so then all the containers can go in the container that they're destined to go in so that they get to Anna and Anna knows what to expect because it came in the front door and you know what's going out the back door uh, anyway. So would you like to reflect on Simon's point and the question? Um, yeah, I think communication and education is hugely important um, and I hear what you're saying about bin labelling. It, it can be very confusing and we work with clients all the time on bin labelling and it, it can get very convoluted, especially the more people they have on their committee to um, <laughs> input into the bin labelling because everybody has got different ideas about what works and I think 
outside the um, municipal and domestic waste streams, which we as a business don't deal with, so we're purely focused on commercial waste and business waste. Um, and what we do within a business is sometimes quite different to what the staff can do at home. And that adds another layer of confusion where they're saying, well, I can do this at work, but I can't do this at home. Or, well, why can't I recycle this at work when I can do it at home? Um, and I think a lot of that comes back to um, the commerciality when you're working with businesses. It's, it's well, and municipally, it's got to be commercially viable. Um, and this isn't my quote, it's um, a, another member of the waste industry from a different company who said, you've got to have collectability, sortability, and commerciality. And that's absolutely critical because there's no point having hundreds of different waste streams when at the end of the day, there's no commerciality or you can't sort them one from the other. You can't tell the difference. Um, and I think the same goes for the consumer. They've got to be able to know what goes in what bin and you have to make it as simple as possible. And I think just to look at um, municipal waste for a moment, um, there does need to be work done on streamlining waste systems throughout local authorities so that whatever part of the country you're in, you know what bin to put a piece of um, a, a plastic bottle in, for example. Okay. Um, in a second, I'll come back to you if that's all right. I think uh, what Neil was touching on in his presentation was another uh, ability, uh, whatever, <laughs> your service ability, what was the middle one? Sortability and uh, commerciability, I made that up. Um, but actually it's responsibility, and, and I think that's what Neil was hinting at, and we might, we might get onto that in a bit more detail later on. But for my, for my part, I think it's you know, where the responsibility lies for simplification, for communication, for, uh, for investing in, in the infrastructure, and the collection and the sorting and the reprocessing, uh, for incorporating the recycled content back into products where it can. If you look on the back of these bottles, a little plug for Innocent, it's uh, about 30% uh, from recycled content, which is great. So, you know, for me, there's a responsibility piece there, which I think we've all woken up and thought, actually, yeah, we can't push this away down the supply chain or up the supply chain. It's actually, we're partly responsible now for this. Hence, people are voluntarily funding things because they're going to be made to do it at some point, in my view, anyway, quite soon. Um, any, any last questions from the floor? before we ask the panel to sort of reflect on those key points. Any more questions? One more over here. Just waiting for the microphone, sorry. Yeah, we can't hear you on the podcast though tomorrow. Hello, it's Karen from Sodexo. I'm the comms manager at Sodexo. It's just one thing that strikes me. I mean, who do you think is responsible for making the standardization of recycling? So for example, if you, uh, Fruit Towers here is actually in Westminster. Over the other side of that bridge, it's Brent Council where I live. So at one point I had five bins for recycling. Now it's down to three, I think. Um, down in Westminster, I know it's a different system altogether. So who, who's responsible to make sure that, that standardization across the UK actually happens? And also who's responsible for communicating that as well? Great question. There's one behind you we'll take as well, if that's all right. The gentleman there. Hi, uh, uh, Mike from uh, GoPack. We're actually a paper cup manufacturer. Um, my question to, to the panel is, uh, and 
it's probably more to uh, directed at uh, Lucy, really. Um, there's obviously a limited number of composting facilities in the UK. Um, I question whether or not there's a commercial value on compostable packaging to these reprocessors or to these compost facilities. My question is if the whole industry, and let's just assume that the whole industry tomorrow switched over to compostable packaging, um, is there any value in it? Are they gonna get anything out of it? Or do we stick to plastics or recyclable materials where there is a value of it? Okay, great, so uh, two questions. Responsibility and, and comms, and I think the point earlier, if you make 400 different organisations responsible in the same way, you'll get 400 different answers. It's the bin, the bin labelling committee kind of uh, mentality. Uh, and the question there about uh, an 8 million percent increase in uh, packaging demand tomorrow, what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> so if the panel want to reflect on, on those two questions, that would be great. Lucy. Um, so I'll start off chatting about the composting facilities and is it worth it? Big question. So at the moment, um, compostable polymers, bioplastics, plastics, whatever you want to call them, they are classed as other, which is not very helpful. Um, so if, if they were reclassified as plastic, then that would allow the composters who are reprocessing compostable plastics to actually earn money from the PRNs in exactly the same way that plastics reprocessors currently earn, what is it, 70 pounds a tonne, 60 pounds a tonne? You know, it's, it's an income. You know, this is a serious income for the plastics recycling industry. And to me, it doesn't really seem logical that um, uh, recycling operators in organics recycling, the composters, are not receiving an income for reprocessing um, compostable plastics. So that is a part of the PRN reform that I personally would like to see, and I know that the composting sector would like to see. Um, you say that there is a limited number of composting facilities. Well, um, I'm not very good at maths, but 53 in-vessel composting facilities plus around 180 open window for drinks only. Um, that's at present, and like en any industry, it can grow. Equally, there are uh, a lot of AD plants around the country which could potentially look into adding a composting phase. There are lots of technological solutions out there for including composting as part of that process. Um, so like any industry, it can adapt and change to see uh, to deal with the inputs. Um, in terms of labelling and standardisation, again, um, it's down to everyone in this room to, um, when the consultation comes out for the waste and resources strategy, then put in your tuppence worth. Say, Michael Gove, we need to have a uniform recycling system in the whole of the UK. That is the only way we are going to fight contamination and make sense of our materials for local recycling here in the UK and not um, need to rely so much on exports. Um, we have to remember that composting is on a par officially um, under the the EU definitions, it's on a par with mechanical recycling. So it is a form of recycling. It keeps it here in the economy. Yes, there is a use for it. Um, and in terms of bin labelling, I'm going backwards here with the questions. Um, yes, it's a big issue. Communication is really important. Um, for that reason, we're phasing in a whole new design to the um, our range, which has the green leaf band on it. So it's a thick green band on it. Um, that is then on the bin signage we make for our clients. It's on the posters that we make for their canteens. Uh, we're putting it onto our bio bags. We work 
um, closely with all of the waste operators who deal with our products and so they understand how they recognise our things. Um, so yes, it's important and any responsible business will be working up and down the chain to make sure that their products fit in with the systems, are recognised and have a value. Great. Uh, just briefly reflecting on those questions, please, Anna. Um, I think that, going back to the question about who needs to make the decision, that's got to come from government, um, and as Lucy said, input from the people um, when they go out to consultation. Um, I think that government needs to encourage more infrastructure in this country so that we can keep more material in this country rather than having to rely on export, um, which is a huge issue for the industry because there is not enough capacity domestically to deal with all the waste that we produce. Um, bin labelling, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd I've, I've made my comments on bin labelling. It's a massive issue and it, it does need to be simplified. And it's difficult because there are lots of different systems. Um, and what works within a commercial business environment is going to be different to what works in the home because th they are different waste streams. Um, so, yeah, lots more talking, I think, and lots more communication and consultation is what's needed. Simon, last word. Do you want me to cover those questions? Yeah. I was just going to um, pick up on now on the compostables. Um, so that's quite a, quite an interesting one um, that we we're constantly um, being discussed. You know, with our with our clients, should we switch? Um, I think the advice I always give, you know, there needs to be the full chain. I think there needs to be a lot of due diligence done in terms of, you know, if if, if clients are going to switch to compostables, that there is the back end route. I know we're talking there about 53 facilities. You know. We've struggled as a business to try and find, um, you know, that full that that you know the full route to ensure that you know the compostables is going to reach the uh, the facility for recycling. So I think, yeah, as long as that due diligence is done, I think you know a switch could be made as long as there's a closed system and it wouldn't be contaminated. Um, I think the others have answered the question um, around you know who can who can solve the issue with all the different recycling systems. I think I read. There's 264 different recycling systems in England alone, so yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to needs to happen there. Um, yeah, and I guess final words from me. Um, yeah, it's it, I think it's all about being plastic, plastic responsible. I think there's definitely sort of um, you know measures we can all take to to, to reduce plastics. Um, but yeah, it, it is a requirement in the um, in the industry. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much to our three panelists. Thank you. <clears throat> We're very carefully going to get down again. Um, right, next up, while, while we rearrange the furniture, uh, next up we've got uh, Louise Stevens. Uh, I'm going to press that. There we go. Is yeah, that the one? On, there we go. There we go. Microphone. Uh, so, Louise is Head of Circular Economy at Innocent. So, over to you. Oh, you need the clicker. There we are. I need that. Right. Hello, um, as I've just been introduced, I'm Louise Stevens, Head of Circular Economy here at Innocent, and just wanted to say another massive welcome. It is an absolute pleasure to host an event like this at Fruit Towers, talking about what is such an important topic at the moment, and from our perspective has been for quite a long time. Um, I just sort of give you a bit of background, both on myself and just an insight into culture here at Innocent. So I've been at Innocent since 2001, 
Um, that's what we sold back then. So our business was a lot smaller and a lot simpler. Um, but there's a lot of similarities back then than I can see today in the business that we have. Um, I was recently given a long service award and you might think that I'd get, I don't know, a carriage clock, a Rolex, but no. What I actually got, first of all, was a fruit knighthood. That is a thing. So I actually now get to call myself Dame Louise, which I take great pleasure in doing internally. I wouldn't dare to introduce <laughs> myself as a dame to any of you, because that means absolutely nothing. And then the second part of the prize, I was taken to a 3D printer, which yielded this thing of nightmares. It's my actual face. And it's terrifying. And we hold it up in the, in the library over there for me to walk past and shudder. Um, so that's, that's the long service award here at Innocent. It it's, makes me so proud. Um, but I guess it's been an incredible journey. And we've gone from five products to a whole lot more. That's not even all the, the products that we sell. Um, and from being West London's favorite little juice company, we're now Europe's favorite little juice company. So it's been an incredible journey. But I think something that's really struck me from the day that I joined this company and is, again, just 100% alive today, as you can see by our recent commitment to becoming a B Corp, um, that we've always wanted to grow a business and a business that we can be proud of. And there's been this ambition that we've had right from day one, which is to leave things a little bit better than we find them. And this is basically our sustainability strategy. That's kind of our header for sustainability, leaving things better than we find them so that wherever we possibly can, our business leaves a positive impact rather than taking away. Now, I could be here all day if we go through all of the uh, elements of this strategy, and obviously the reason we're here today is to talk about plastic. Now, we've been thinking about plastic for a really long time, so I thought it might be useful to just give you a little bit of a... Um, Timeline, a bit of a, a recap of where, we, where we've been on this. So Innocent obviously started back in 1999. And it was shortly after I joined, actually. It was one of the founders, Adam, and he was the commercial director at the time. And I remember him standing up in front of, I guess there were 20 of us back then, um, and saying, great news, guys. We're selling loads of smoothies. People actually want these products. Um, but I've been having this thought that's been really kind of gnawing away at me that when people have finished the smoothie, what do they do with the bottle? Where are all these bottles going? What is happening to them? Are they just piling up somewhere? So back then I worked in supply chain and there was four of us in the supply chain team. And I can remember the next day going along to our supply chain operations meeting and all sitting there going, okay, that is such a great challenge from Adam. I'm not entirely sure what we've got to do with this. And none of us had heard of the term circular economy, I can remember there was a lot of arm waving. We were all sat there going, how do we get the bottle back into the bottle again? And so off we went on this kind of mission to explore recycled plastic. And um, it was back in 2003 that we got all of our smoothie bottles to 25% recycled plastic. Now back then it was quite a lot harder to come by um, and it took a lot of work, but it felt like the right thing to do. And from that point onwards, we've been working with recycled plastic and we've also been working with ways of making our packaging more sustainable. Now, interestingly, in 2007, we got to a fully 100% recycled plastic bottle. But back then, again, the availability and quality of plastic really wasn't quite 
up to scratch. Um, there were issues such as the label from the previous bottle being burnt on in little blobs <laughs> onto the new resin. And when you're selling a food product, that's, that's just not really acceptable. So there was a number of issues which today, I think the technology has really moved on. And I guess the thing that we've been aware of is that plastic can be recycled a number of times, but it can't be recycled infinitely. So we've set ourselves a goal that by 2022, we make all of our bottles out of renewable materials. So no more virgin plastic, no more dependency on oil. And so for us, what that means is predominantly using recycled plastic, but because plastic can't be recycled endlessly, we are gonna need some virgin feedstock. So one of the new innovations that we've brought to market is, well, this, what, what's new is bringing a bottle that is a combination of recycled plastic with a small amount of uh, plant-based plastic. And I'll, I'll tell you a bit more about that in a minute. But that's just the kind of the journey we've been on and where we're trying to get to by 2022. Now, I guess just stepping back for a minute, the way we think about the current terrible issues that we're facing with plastic, it's a really major issue. Um, but I think that the thing that we've been concerned about is that we're also facing another really major issue called climate change. And at the moment, it doesn't feel like there's enough balance in the discussions going on about the plastics pollution issue. Both of those issues have to be considered. And I think we've already heard mentions this morning, uh, this afternoon, sorry, to unintended consequences and knee-jerk reactions. So I think our mission right back since 2002 has been to think about the impact of both climate change and um, effectively littering and pollution. And it's, it's oversimplistic to say that the solution to both those issues is the circular economy. I, we're all aware that this issue is huge. It has lots of arms to it, and we need to think about it in the round. But really, at the foundation of it, the circular economy can genuinely provide a lot of the solution. Now, again, that was very simplistic. Obviously, when we think about plastic here, we do go into quite a lot of detail on all the various areas to it. And what we've got are three major work streams. And there's people across the business partaking in all of this. First one is obviously about continuing to improve the packaging that we've got and working towards that 2022 goal of 100% renewable bottles. But then also, I think this has come up a few times already in the panel, um, about the need to make sure communications are super clear. So we're committed to making sure all of our drinkers know how to recycle our bottles, but not only that, that they actually want to as well. I'll come back to that in a minute. And then lastly, the reason we're all here today and the reason why we partake in a number of forums like this, it is critical that industry works together cross-functionally but also with governments. No single company can just say, oh, well, just because we've launched this kind of bottle, we've cracked it. It absolutely needs systemic change and we need the infrastructure around it to, to move on. So just a few highlights from the work that's going on within our um, plastic strategy, hopefully will be interesting for you all. So this bottle that we launched in the spring of this year, all our smoothie bottles, so they contain 50% RPETs and then 15% plant-based plastic. So that plant-based plastic is made from molasses, which is a byproduct of sugarcane. And as I said, by 2022, we want to move to a point where there's no more virgin plastic in our bottles. So for us, this is our most sustainable bottle yet because we're really, we've really got to a place where we're considering the issue in the round. 
I think the solution we had years ago for the 100% recycled plastic bottle didn't tick all the boxes. And ultimately, sustainability has also got to prove that something's commercial. That's, that's intrinsic in the definition of sustainability. So we really hope that we're working towards something that can be demonstrated as, as commercial as well as responsible. So another angle I mentioned about is, in, is engagement. So I think we've talked about clarity. For us, the OPRL system, so the on-pack re recycling um, label, is pretty clear and it's now got really excellent consumer recognition. So we've made sure now that every single one of our pieces of packaging, I really hope all of them on here have got it now. There's two last label runs that hadn't quite gone through. So if you look and it's not on your bottle, I'm really sorry. But soon, every single one of our pieces of packaging will have that on. I think that's one piece of clarity that we can give our drinkers. But then the second piece is how can we make people want to recycle? It, again, we've already talked about the fact that it can be a bit of a hassle for people. It's confusing. It's not always convenient. So what we've tried to do is come up with a series of stories which we've put and again I've seen them on a number of the bottles on the table certainly on the smoothie bottles you'll see these we've just tried to make recycling fun um, it's something we do as a brand we try and make the uh, inane and the mundane fun um, but we've had some incredible response we've had more response from our drinkers on these labels than anything we've worked on for quite some time um, and we've had people taking photos of them and putting them on social media and we even got as one of the top hits on reddit the other day which I didn't even know what Reddit was, but I now know that that's really cool. So it, this is something that is reaching really wide audiences and it's engaging them. So it's really challenged us as a brand to think, how can we do more of that? How can we do more to get people excited about recycling? And then in terms of that last pillar of our plastic strategy, this whole piece about industry action. So for us, a fairly straightforward move was joining the UK Plastics Pact. And it'd be interesting... Hopefully I'll get a chance to talk to some of you at the end to, to understand how many of your businesses it would be relevant to join. Because I think the more um, cross-functional initiatives like this and the more people that can join them to come together for a solution, the quicker we're going to get there. And already this has is, this is kicked off um, really well with some ambitious targets. So, in a nutshell, I hope it's been useful to hear about what we're doing on plastics. Um, I think fundamentally what we really think we need is a recycling revolution. We really just need to up the ante and prove that plastics has a value. It shouldn't be littered, it shouldn't end up in landfill or in the ocean. It should be recycled and given another life. We're also committed to making sure our drinkers know and want to recycle our packaging every single time. Um, and lastly, we've got our goal of a fully renewable bottle by 2022, but you may have spotted on the timeline, we've sort of moved around quite a few times. We are never claiming to be experts on this. I mean, our mission at the end of the day is to get healthy natural drinks to people. We're not a plastic bottle company, but we really want to try and work with the plastics industry to come up with the best solution. Um, but we'd love to hear if, if anyone's got any other ideas. That's it from me. Thank you. Great. Uh, any, any questions, immediate questions, uh, before we go into the next panel? One at the back. Who you are, where you're from, Mike? Uh, Mike, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, Mike Hansen from Baxter Story. Uh, thank you very much, that's very interesting. Um, just a quick question around um, tetra-pack-style tetra cartons. Um, I know, I remember some time ago, it was announced that Innocent were moving away from cartons. Um, 
of which I at the time agreed with because of the complexity around recycling cartons and the seven different layers and so on. Um, and I remember speaking to one of your colleagues about it. Um, and I'm just wondering why that hasn't actually gone all the way and you've actually got rid of all of them because you've obviously still got the kids' smoothies in cartons. Yeah, great question. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Oh, yeah, and that one. Here's one. Coconut water as well. And coconut water. Um, it's, it's really interesting. Obviously, when we start on an MPD process, we start with our mission. So we're all about ingredients and sustainably sourced, excellent, high-quality ingredients. And then you move on to the proposition and what format it goes in. So again, the priority is, the, is what's inside the packaging. And then each time we try and work out what's the best for that, that need, that format, and also taking into account sustainability. It, it's never black and white. And we know that cartons have got a great carbon footprint but we also know that they don't stack up quite so well in the circular economy in terms of what comes out the other end is lower quality than, than what goes in. Um, but I honestly don't think you could say hand on heart that one is better than the other. And I think to fix the problems we've got at the moment, we're still going to need a number of solutions. Um, so at the moment, for our kids' packaging, for our kids' format, it ticks a lot of the right boxes. Um, but for everything else, plastic, we feel, works better. Great. Uh, and another question at the back. Dean Pierce again. Sorry, <coughs> SWR Newstar. Uh, very interesting. Um, question really relates to your engagement with um, the the reprocessing industry. I, I guess where I'm coming from is I used to work in the East End of London, and once upon a time we had a plastics recycling factory or process, reprocessing site there that closed down because there just wasn't yep. enough of, um, value or I'm sorry the, the the oil price went down so low at that particular time that it wasn't competitive anymore subsequently it's been bought by another company but yep. it's it's extremely frustrating to sort of hear these great news stories but when in actual reality it only takes a small economic driver for there not to be enough support for it so I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about what you did and what, how you've collaborated with the other people, which is, I think, something that Neil touched on in his opening piece about yeah. his... Yeah, absolutely. I think the challenge we've got is, obviously, we have completely clear bottles, and we're obviously happy to take the use of our pet, which makes them fractionally less clear, but ultimately, we don't ever put any dye in them the way some um, product types do. So challenge we've always had is that we need as good a clarity RPET as you can get and because of the way the infrastructure is set up in this country at the moment there is so much contamination and again that's no one's fault that goes right through the chain as to why there is so much contamination in the plastic that's coming through at the moment we've not been able to source resin from this country of the high enough quality so we're working with partners in Europe now we would be utterly thrilled to be part of getting the UK recycling infrastructure off the ground and really, really firing on all cylinders. But it, it, it's a huge challenge. And I just think this is another one where a number of big players need to come together and guarantee that demand. And yeah, factories like that, thankfully has reopened. We need more being built. We know there's plastic stockpiles all over this country and we need it to be used and we would absolutely love to buy it. Oh, all over. <laughs> all across Northwest Europe. My frustration is that, you know, in London, for example, you've got, A, I would imagine, a massive source of potential recovered plastics from households. 
you got a plastics reprocessing factory in the east end of London, and you've got, for example, a Coca-Cola bottling factory in Enfield. That has to be the circular economy no, operation. I couldn't agree more. And we're in discussions with all those people. We would love that. Yeah. We would absolutely love that. So I think more of those discussions need to happen and more companies need to lay down. I think there needs to just be that commitment to the volume and then the processes will make the investment. Yeah. But I'm really nervous that we're at a bit of a standoff and until someone lays down that commitment, um, so, we're absolutely part of that discussion. So deposits, minimum recycled content, does that solve the problem? It's quite possible that we'll see an increase in the quality and quantity. And that's, that's what our position has been on deposit return schemes all the way along. We, what we need in this country is something. We've not said, you know, it, it needs to be designed and defined. But what we need is something that's going to increase the quality and quantity of recycled plastic available. That is 100% what we're behind and what we want. Fab. Well, hold that thought. What we'll do then, I think, is immediately trans transition to a panel uh, so that's you as well. Uh, yeah, I need to turn that off. This is that one. There we go. Uh, uh, if we can invite our panel, next panel up then, please. Uh, so we have uh, Louise, who you've just met and heard from. Uh, we have Cara from Lean Path, and we have uh, Selena from Compass Group. Okay, remember, no one move, no one breathe. Uh, should be fine. It's quite precarious, isn't it? <laughs> I'm really scared. We're all good. Okay, and we've got a roving mic again. So um, perhaps the panel would like to just make some op opening remarks. Um, we've heard from you, so <laughs> not you. Uh, let's start. Selena, if you'd like to make some opening remarks, that would be fantastic. Hi. Um, so I'm Selena Fernandez. I work for Compass Group. Um, those of you who haven't heard of us, we are the UK's leading food service and support service uh, company in the UK. Um, we have around 60,000 people and 10,000 sites. Um, so this whole issue and our sh sheer size uh, makes it a challenge in itself. Um, I suppose um, to hope, hopefully not repeat things that people have said, but um, our, our approach at Compass is is certainly to take a, a prag pragmatic approach. There is no silver bullet answer to this whole debate. Um, and what we want to do is try and make sure that we are uh, making the best decisions we can and moving in the right direction um, and choosing options that are sustainable. Um, what we don't want to do is um, make those knee-jerk reactions and just move the problem. Um, so it's, a, it's another issue to resolve uh, further down the line. Um, so we're very much um, coaching uh, and uh, guiding our sites and our clients towards um, reducing, reusing, recycling before considering any alternative materials. Um, and uh, we, we've been seeing some great success in this area, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a slow process because the, the solutions are not always um, that obvious and they vary um, from site to site. Um, I think where, where we have a challenge is that we're the users, um, so we sort of sit in the middle of the supply chain whereby uh, we don't manufacture our disposables, um, we, you know, our retail items are bought in, used on site, and then we, um, we, we have to work with our waste management companies to make sure that they're disposed of in the right way, um, and we don't always manage the waste 
um, at all of our sites. So, so it can be quite, uh, quite challenging. So that's thinking about the supply chain and really trying to future-proof the supply chain. Yeah, yeah, and and I think it's a, this is a really um, it's really important to collaborate with the whole of your supply chain. Um, we're certainly working really closely with industry partners so that we are um, keeping up with the 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 um, movement around addressing the challenges. Um, so we're working with RAP as part of Quartal 2025. Um, we're also part of a working group um, through that uh, on on uh, plastics as a sort of spin-off from the pact. Um, we work closely with the Food Service Packaging Association as well. Um, but you know, engaging with our clients um, and our customers to really understand uh, the operations and issues on, on particular sites is really important. Um, we work um, closely with our suppliers as well. Um, and, and I personally work closely to support our procurement team as well to make sure that any products that are coming into our supply chain, we've completed an environmental assessment and we are confident that the right environmental choice is being made. Great, thank you. Um, Cara, some opening remarks as well. Just thinking about from LeanPass perspective in particular, I know you, you might want to reflect on uh, previous uh, lives. <laughs> sure, yes. Hello, uh, good afternoon. Kara Unterkoffler with Lean Path. Um, I'm the managing director of our European operation, and we are a technology and behavior change company focused on food waste prevention. So, um, you know, I'm really pleased to be here uh, learning and a lot already, but I think that, you know, we're very interested in this topic um, in terms, because one, it's a really huge problem that our clients are dealing with, our food service clients. Um, so we're working with uh, the large organizations like Sodexo, Aramark, Compass Globally, um, IKEA, Google, and this is something that everyone's grappling with. That's why we're here today talking about it. Um, and so we are very interested in the relationship between plastics and particularly packaging and food waste. So what are the ways that plastics help preserve food? And it was touched upon, you know, considering carbon footprints of packaging versus the food that it's protecting. Um, there's also a role that plastic plays in terms of driving food waste. So when, um, not so much in food service, but in retail, if you're packaging 10 oranges together and somebody can't eat 10 oranges who's in a household of one, um, we might be producing food waste and making people make bad choices. So I think that we're very interested in that relationship and learning more. Um, and we're also really interested, I mentioned that we are uh, you know, a technology and behavior change company uh, focused on food waste prevention. And um, I think it was Simon who spoke about the food waste hierarchy or the waste hierarchy in general. And um, you know, that's a voice that we, very much want to play in these conversations is just that you know the most important actions we can take are the actions that are focused on preventing waste in the first place, whether that be food waste or whether that is plastics. Um, you know we want to not be distracted by the conversation around we have so much plastic, what do we do with it now, um, and more about the question which is how do we not get so much plastic in the first place. Um, so I think that, that you know, yeah. and, and to your point about past lives, um, I worked for Closed Loop in Australia uh, and working on, you know, providing single-use plastics and, and products, paper plastic, to uh, food service organizations at venues. Um, 
and quick service restaurants and really focusing on the collection schemes. So that is very close to my heart. Um, and I worked out of the Dagnum facility for a couple months in 2010. So I very much understand the challenges that they were experiencing um, and this whole conundrum in general. Happy to be here. Fantastic. It's great that you said Australia like an Australian, even though the other ac the rest <laughs> of your accent is not Australian. Um, <laughs> So I'm from I think, Melbourne, yeah. <laughs> I think that, um, uh, Louise, that point about, about less, actually, is, is really important, isn't it? So I think, you know, it's easy to sort of get run away with ourselves in trying to recycle more, more, more. But actually part of the solution is less. Not less recycling, just less to recycle in the first place. So do you want to reflect on that? And uh, the, the sort yeah. of questions that we were getting into there in terms of thinking about deposits and maybe some of the behaviours corporately that that might, might drive, as well as then, you know, the behaviours um, in, in terms of consumers that that might drive. Yeah, I mean, just to start with commenting on less from our perspective, all the way through the whole of that plastics timeline, we've been looking at ways to use less, and whenever we move from a different production line to the one next door, you have to use slightly different changes of parts and changes of bottles, so we've our, the, the, the weight of our bottles has changed a number of times, so almost on an annual basis we have to take stock and go, right, where, where are we up to? Which of these can we take weight out of? So we'll identify our next two um, formats that we'll be lightweighting next year will be our big juice carafe and our big smoothie bottles. So yes, less is absolutely fundamental and that's a theme that runs throughout the entirety of our sustainability strategy anyway. So um, yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of the pieces, what in terms was your question in terms of uh, if a deposit, a DRS deposit return scheme scheme came in, yeah. I mean, like I said, we think that a well-designed DRS would be great. Um, we know that our recycling levels in this country are nowhere near where they should be, and we've seen that in a number of countries in Europe that they've achieved really fantastic recycling rates with a DRS. So you know, and it would meet the objective that we've had all along, which would be to source as much good quality recycled plastic as we possibly can. Yeah, and Selena, do you want to reflect on that as well, the, um, the consumer culture side of things? You know, is it, is it nudges or is it massive signs or, you know, big, big sticks? How do, we, how, do we, how do we sort of make that happen? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of everything, really. So um, we... we work on a lot of consumer-facing messaging. Um, we also work with our clients to, dis uh, to design their own bespoke messaging. Um, and, and some of that um, is, is around uh, trying to educate them about uh, some of the changes that we're making to our operations on site. And some of it can be around uh, educating them about, about the actual materials. Um, and plastic bottles are a great example where we've, we've got um, products that include recycled content and can be easily recycled on site um, and some consumers um, don't, don't know that you can recycle a, pl a plastic bottle um, so I think that's uh, that's also that's really important um, that we communicate the reasons why perhaps we're not moving away from plastics and why that, that may be the the right environmental choice um, and and the, the key thing that you know I've heard several times already and, and is key to us as well is, is that de plastics are not demonized um, and and that they, they can be the right choice. I mean, as a food service business, we want to be able to provide um, food and drink to our customers, and sometimes plastic packaging enables us to do that in the most convenient, effective, um, and, and safe way from, from a food safety perspective. Brilliant, uh, open up to the floor. Questions from the floor. Who's got a question for the, for the panel? 
in the middle here. Who you are, where you're from, and then the question, please. Paul Gardner from the Mirror. I know Celine quite well. So. Um, just one of the questions is, there's um, you know, obviously innocent need plastic. You've got a um, Canary Wharf, you've got a big concentration of clients there. Um, Canary Wharf is a private estate. Do you engage with Canary Wharf on this sort of thing? Because surely they would be able to do something on that private estate about it and then put it into the processing, plant up the road and then send the bottles back to uh, Innocent. Because what have you got down there? 130,000 people on a private estate and Canary Wharf can help dictate a lot of that. Have you engaged with those sort of people? Yeah, um, I, I can't really comment on uh, on the work going on with, with Canary Wharf Estate. Um, there, I, I will say there's, there's a number of operators, food service operators, uh, on operating on Canary Wharf, not, not just Compass. We, we operate a number of sites, um, but there's, there's also others as well. And then there's also private private retailers as well. Um, but there is, is, is a huge opportunity there to collaborate. Um, and, uh, and I was impressed to see that they put in the first um, deposit return scheme in their... Uh, in their shopping centre, so um, they, they've sort of start, started the, the debate with a, with a bit of a trial there as well. Any other reflections on that question about, I suppose maybe thinking about concentrations of, of organisations, concentrations of, of people, maybe the behaviour change aspects of that. Uh, yeah, Louise? Uh, it'd just be nice to mention that, that exact point. We're working with um, a fantastic organisation called Hubbub. So they're a sustainability behaviour change charity. And they're about to kick off an initiative starting on the 9th of October. And it's going to run for six months. And they're basically saturating Leeds city centre with recycling bins, signs, literally people walking around talking to people about recycling. They're really, really going for it. And we're just one of a handful of brands and retailers that have put some money to make that, um, to make that possible. And it really is all about that. They, they are targeting primarily, actually, the office spaces and the, um, the uh, retail spaces as well. Because on-street recycling is tough and contamination levels are notoriously really, really high. But that absolutely part, like it's part of what they're trying to do, but it was just interesting that they are just going to try it, just throw everything at it, and then at the end of the six months, there should be information for everyone to see as to how successful that is, and if you have huge, bright yellow bins everywhere, does it actually make an impact? <laughs> and ultimately, how long-lasting it is. I know exactly. in, in Toronto, many years ago, they did some you know, a, a concerted effort over advertising. This is around aluminium cans, actually. Yeah. Uh, and you know, a few million pounds spent on advertising. Uh, Capture rates went up for a while, advertising stopped and capture rates returned back to where they were. And that's where, you know, if it's a, an alcoholic beverage, you, there's a, a deposit or a relationship you have anyway, more than you probably want to with, uh, with the place that sells you alcohol. So uh, I'd probably know them on first terms personally. But, um, but that, that's the kind of, you know, for me is how long these things lie. How long is, is it awareness or is it actually a behaviour or a culture that's changed? And I guess some of that is back of house as well, isn't it? And how you manage uh, food service spaces. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we're really passionate about behavior change. And I think that one, that event will be very interesting, but uh, it's been talked about a couple times, communication and how important that is. And I think that oftentimes, when people don't know why something is happening, um, it's easy to get disgruntled about an inconvenience because uh, the bins were moved. Now we, you know, we used to have a bin every 10 feet. Now there's 
collections of bins and now I have to walk further. And so, you know, this is a bummer. Um, but simple signage or communication <laughs> can, you know, let someone know that, hey, great news. We used to throw all of, you know, those bottles, uh, you know, weren't being processed. Now they are. And thank you for taking an extra 25 steps because you're a part of something big and here's some interesting stats. And all of a sudden that walk is a walk of pride because I'm not just doing the old status quo bad practice. And um, to create an example, uh, a food service example in food waste, um, you know, there are expectations that consumers have about, and I'm sure that Compass and Sodexo can relate to this, that, you know, when the salad bar is open, from noon to three, um, I want to walk up at you know 2:59 and have a plentiful, beautiful spread that I can make the most delicious salad that the same person did at 12:01. And um, this is a real challenge because we have to set consumer expectations that in order to not waste food or in order to reduce w waste of any kind, you know, we have to modify the way that we operate. And so um, there are ways that you could be tricky and get around that instead of using um, you know, deep dishes to uh, store, you know, carrots and different vegetables. You use very shallow uh, pans so that it looks just as plentiful, but it's less food that will be wasted. Um, or if that's not possible, you might have to say, uh, put a sign up and back to this communication, um, you know, because we're trying to reduce food waste, you know, we have stopped prepping the salad bar, but we are more than happy to make you a fresh salad. If you would like one, come see us. And, that, and now someone says, oh, you're going to make me a special salad. I get to kind of order it and get something special. And so it creates a relationship mm. and a respect for the practice instead of disappointment and snide comments uh, about why something you know, wasn't as expected. So just to support that communications point that it's so important to let people know why we're making change so that they're happy about it instead of upset. Yeah, I stayed in a hotel earlier this week up in Leeds. I was up there for a, a thing, and uh, I was really surprised. A, a client called me at 10 to 8, as they sometimes do, don't they? And uh, I was on the phone for an hour and a half, which is lovely. Uh, and it meant I was a bit late for breakfast. I was later than planned for breakfast. And uh, I was really disappointed not to have sort of dried, rubbery, uh, scrambled egg to scoop out and put on my own plate. Uh, they insisted on cooking fresh. The whole area was cleared uh, an hour earlier when I was on the phone and it was all cooked for your point entirely there. So they had a lot less waste um, because if some idiot like me turns up at you know, five to 10 or whatever it was, a bit late, um, and actually have a not a very good experience because it's all a bit dry and, and tired. So a uh, very good point that, and it surprised me because it's, I've never seen it in a hotel before. You normally get the slightly rubbery uh, scrambled egg at five to 10. Um, any more questions from the uh, floor? One more, One more in the middle, we've still got the mic, look. Well, to interrupt first, a bag is a bag is a bag, and it all uses energy, but any views on five pence worth of uh, behavior change? Which I can't was answer to the paper bag transition. <laughs> I'm not sure if someone else from the waste sector might be able to answer that. Oh, it's Reliable Dean at the back there. Sorry. I think there is a, uh, an environment agency report on it, actually, and it's to do with um, carbon emissions, the, the carbon emissions associated with paper and pulp is, is just much higher. Simple as that. And for me, it's the behavior. It's not what it's made out of. It's the behavior of 
Do you really need a bag every time? Do you need dozens of bags every time? Is it that difficult, especially if you're driving there to the shop? So I'd, I'd sort of take issue with, do we really need to give stuff out just because it's habit, isn't it? And maybe a reflection. You want to come in on that point? Go for it. No, I was just going to, I was just going <coughs> to add in, um, I think the, the consumer has a huge part to play in solving this problem by taking their own responsibility, um, by um, actually sitting down to eat in a restaurant or in a cafe and using the reusable options that are available um, and also bringing their own bags or um, cups or water bottles um, and, and helping us in solving this problem. Um, so I just wanted to kind of add that in as you brought up, brought up the bags there. Yep, absolutely. Uh, the, the, that was a, if there was elasticity uh, on, a, on an item, 5p against something that costs 0 point, whatever it is, 1 pence. Um, you know, fantastic reaction it got from behaviour and cultural change. I think it's a, a really good example of a, of a tax levy or charge working really well, personally, but there you go. Um, next question from the, from the floor. Back. <coughs> it's Mike Hansen from Back to Story. Sorry, it's not really a question, it's just responding to what you just said about carrier bags. Um, it was an, an incredible reaction, 5p, um, on, on carrier bags, but 86% uh, reduction. Um, however, and we going back to what we were all talking about earlier about knee-jerk reactions, and also when there's a, a huge benefit on one hand, there can be a, a very big negative on the other. Uh, on average, and this is environment agency statistics, um, an average bag for life, cotton bag for life, uh, needs to be used 175 times to make it as environmentally efficient as a carry bag. If you would have used that carry bag as a, a bin bag or a dog poo bag or whatever, that goes up 250 times. So what it does is it just demonstrates that actually you, there is a yin and a yang. You, it's not all good news, just by doing this, there's gonna have an impact somewhere else. That was all. Absolutely. Several billion fewer carrier bags. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the number but I absolutely take your point on what are the equal and opposite reactions to any action that you might uh, implement in the first place. <clears throat> Life cycle is an art, not a science, maybe. Um, next question. <laughs> do you know, that is a really good question. I've got a question based on that, which is and just sort of, you know, going a bit left field, but what, what's, the, what's the one thing that you is at the top of your list that you really want to do? It, it may be in your control, it might be something outside of your control, but what's that really big one single ticket issue for you that you really, on this plastics issue, that you really want to make happen or see happen? I mean, for us, it's just the hot kind of phrase that's going around this office is we really feel we need a recycling revolution. And obviously, the, the type of plastic we use, it's all about recycling. It's all about the circular economy. Um, so the teams, like I said, across the business that are trying to work out what it is that we need to do, what's Innocent's role in starting a recycling revolution in this country. Brilliant. Selena. Uh, I think as a, as a first step, um, I, I'd like to see... Um, problematic and unnecessary um, single-use plastics eliminated or certainly reduced. Um, there, there is a lot of stuff out there that's uh, it's 
causing problems in terms of design, lack of recyclability, um, or other problems um, associated to food contamination or that uh, it's too small or lightweight to, to make it through a recycling process. So um, to, to kind of focus on, on those big ticket items, I think, would, would make a, a massive step forwards in the industry. That's great. Yeah, and Cara? Um, I think sort of building on both of those points, I, I said it before <coughs> that, you know, our number one message is that prevention is first so always asking the question you know how do we use less um, and do we really need to do this this way um, you know I, I I'm almost disappointed when somebody assumes I want a carrier bag like at least you know ask or make somebody ask and just that can change a lot of things um, so so definitely a focus on prevention um, and you know, the comment about a revolution, something that was really interesting and, and stuck with me. I was attending the Green Build Conference in the US and Thomas Friedman was the speaker there. And he made a comment that, you know, if we're really gonna have a sustainability revolution, um, we can't, not everybody can be a winner. And I think that that is something that we're grappling with on this issue, which is that we can't have every single business grow exponentially you know, not have any shift in the economy, a loss in jobs, as we talked about earlier. Um, that's not what a revolution looks like. And I think that that's why this is so tense for us, because we have to figure it out and we need to kind of think big about what's the best way forward um, and then ma and make that happen. So a little bit about revolution. And that was something that stuck with me. <laughs> that's a great point. Thank you. Very much. And a really good one to, uh, to close on. So um, uh, thank you very much to the panel. If everyone could thank the panel in the normal way. Brilliant. Well done on getting down again as well. <laughs> right, thank you very much. Uh, yes, uh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, there we go. Uh, so that's your slides. There we are. Right. Um, so just to conclude, uh, thank you very much. I think it's been a really interesting uh, debate this afternoon. There's so much going on. I mean, we need probably three weeks to cover all of the issues in, in detail. I'm sure, you know, there's a load of questions for the panelists on the things they're doing. You heard from, you know, from Selena at Compass and earlier on from, uh, from Sodexo as well. I'm sure there's a lot of questions for, um, for Innocent as well. And it's a great venue. Um, it, I must say, it looks a little bit like a, a student union bar. When we walked in, it was like ping pong and, you know, there's a guy without his shoes on and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. It's my kind of office, I must say. Um, lovely grass. Um, but it's been a, it's been a great um, conversation this afternoon. Uh, and as with all the footprint um, events, it's only ever the start or the middle. It's never the end, really. You know, we really bring you guys together to, to meet each other, to talk to each other, uh, and to find out, you know, more information, find out what you could do more of differently, etc. For me, um, <clears throat> one of the things that are certain in life is, uh, is it taxes, death and change, is that right, I think? Um, I think we need a bit more um, uh, sort of focus on responsibility as well. You know, the responsibility is all through the supply chain, uh, from the people who come up with amazing ideas for new products, uh, down to or through to the people who buy them and need them and use them and want them, uh, and then have to do something with them at the end. And, and that responsibility piece, I think, is where uh, the mind, minds collectively of everyone has really been focused um, Blue Planet <coughs> to cut through to audiences like 
nothing really has before. There's a follow-up series, which I think started last night or tonight on BBC, with the um, bang goes the, whatever they're called, the science-y uh, presenters, they're all a bit crazy. Uh, and one of them is going around looking at more detail of this plastics problem in oceans and what we can do about it. Um, so, yeah, I recommend that to you as well. There was a great programme on about um, the history of landfill uh, a few weeks ago now by the Scottish professor guy who gets on TV a bit. He's a very interesting person and they were digging up old landfill sites, which I've, I've done in my past as well. Uh, and I'm sure uh, others in the room have, have gone um, poking around at old landfill sites. And it's amazing how little things actually break down. And we think landfills are away, but actually they're just somewhere else for a while. And, you know, the whole bunch of stuff going to happen in the future when we're probably not expecting it. So, you know, I think the responsibility piece for me is something which really stands out uh, over the last 12, 24 months. And for many of us in the room, I know it's probably brought um, to um, public attention some stuff we've been worrying about for quite some time and it's great to be able to grapple with it now and deal with it. So I think at that point, am I going to click this and something magic appears? Uh, no. <laughs> yes, there we are, three clicks. Um, so if you haven't already, the Waste to Zero, which celebrates less really, doesn't it? Celebrates less. Um, <clears throat> the awards are on in, uh, in how many weeks time? Two weeks time. Uh, 4th of October, apparently. Uh, do I click again? I'll click again. There we go, look. <coughs> the answer is uh, one click away. 4th of October, awards dinner. Um, so speak to the, the footprint guys uh, if you'd like more information about that. Uh, always good fun. Right, so um, thank you very much. We've got a uh, little, little drinks session now, haven't we? Uh, and you can ask those questions that you weren't quite brave enough to ask in the main session. Do you want to say anything by way of closing? You have I to have this. Very, very, very briefly. Thank you all very much for coming. Thank you <clears> all to all, all our speakers and our panellists. Um, I do hope you'll stay and have a drink because part of the big thing about Footman Forum is, is the networking element. We would like to recycle your plastic name badges. So if you wouldn't mind leaving them on that red table on your way out, that would be tremendous. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you once again to Innocent. For, uh, for organising this and, and Yeah. And a big thank you to John. Thank you.